You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast, a place for real conversations with people who love someone with the disease of addiction. Now here is your host, Margaret Swift Thompson. Welcome back. Today, Judge Amber, who you heard from last week, presides over Wellness Drug Court in Pennsylvania. Today, we take it a little different. She shares more about her personal involvement with the disease of addiction as she speaks about families surrounding the participants in her courtroom. Let's get back to Judge Amber. The Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. I didn't share my own story. I have a brother who's in recovery. He's an alcoholic. I'm two years older than he is. And he's been an alcoholic since he was probably 17. Well, he's 45. I'm 47. And... May will be nine years in recovery. My parents enable his addiction, and ultimately he was able to get to a point where he got sober, stayed sober, and he's been able to maintain his recovery. But while he was in treatment, they had a family program that I went to with my parents, and it was amazing. I just remember it was really powerful to me. And um, that's something that I would be interested in. But the problem is, I think enabling parents are resistant to criticism. And I can't order anyone to do anything except for the participant in my courtroom. So, you know, logistically, it might be a little bit difficult. But I mean, we certainly have resources I could direct families to. But that is, that's a good question. That's something I think about. I do invite family members to come into treatment court. A lot of times we have girlfriends that come in. Sometimes we have children that come in with their parents. I encourage that as long as they're not too young, because I like for kids to see their parents doing well and being successful and having a positive interaction with the criminal justice system. But as far as the family involvement, you know, there's not a whole lot that I I do with the family. Well, you make a good point. Your purview of authority is over the defendant. So that makes a lot of sense. However, you have resources and links to other things if they so chose to get help. Yes. And I will say the county that we're in is very resource rich for recovery. And of course, I kind of took it for granted until I got involved. And I see the resources we have versus other counties when I go to, you know, the Pennsylvania, you know, has a treatment court conference, it's in October. And you talk to people in other counties, that's when you really get perspective and you realize how blessed we are. We're a very progressive court, believe it or not. I did have my coordinator write down some stats here for me. October of 1997 is when our court began. And I know that we are a model for a lot of other counties start new treatment courts. They come and they watch what we do. And I take a lot of pride in that. But, uh, you know, you learn when you talk to other people, not everyone has it as good. They don't have the resources. Or, for example, we have a district attorney who is very much believes in treatment. With their district attorneys in other counties that are like, these are criminals. You know, I'm not going to get involved in holding this criminal's hand. And so you kind of have to have that, too. You have to have the right gatekeeper, who's the district attorney, the way most treatment courts work in Pennsylvania is like that. So I'm fortunate in a a lot of different ways. 
Thank you also for Amber sharing a little bit of your story there. And I wonder if that is part of why you do the work you do, because I would assume this is a choice. You don't have to do it. And it would take a certain person to do it. Do you think your own experience influenced that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, my brother and I are very close. It was a very difficult time watching him. I mean, I thought when my brother was, I don't know, like late 20s, I was like, he's not going to see 30. And I was always very worried that, well, you know, like a lot of parents and siblings of people who struggle with addiction. And I don't think I understood it then the way I understand it now, but I know ultimately I got to a point, my brother's wife was pregnant with his first child. And she called my husband and I, and she said, Hey, if, you know, if your brother's drunk, do you think you'd be able to take me to the hospital? And that really hit me. I was like, Oh my gosh, this poor woman. And that was kind of like the breaking point for me where I went to my family. I'm one of five um, children and I kind of gathered everybody together and I said, we need to do an intervention. And we did kind of like what you see on TV. You know, I hired an interventionist. We took him to the Karen Foundation. And this was, I mean, probably rehab number five, six, seven. It wasn't the first rodeo. Something clicked this time. And as I'm sure is a familiar story, you know, he he wouldn't speak to me. He, I don't want to say hated me, but he was very resentful of me for a long time. And then, you know, when his brain was sober, you know, he was able to reach out to me and we were able to reconnect. But it was worth it. And he knows, I mean, he does some work to help people in recovery. And he hasn't come to one of our treatment for graduations yet. But because of COVID, we haven't had them open to the public for a while. And so I'm looking forward to having him come and watch one of our graduations because they're very powerful. Oh, I can't imagine. And how wonderful to have him there as a part of the story as to why you are there in that role. And I really appreciated what you shared about the fallout of the intervention. The great news is something clicked for him and he embraced recovery. The hard part is when you are the instigator of the intervention, the disease puts you as enemy number one. You know, you're the one that's getting in the way of the disease taking him. And everybody's journey looks different. I've worked in treatment center for years where we've had people come in through interventions. Some will be angry the entire time. Some are crying out of gratitude because they couldn't ask for help and it was the only option. And it's everywhere in between as well. I think it's tremendous that you have the courage to stand up to his disease in the way you did. And what an eye opener, you know, I think the story of his pregnant wife calling saying, if I need to go to the hospital, will you take me? Just speaks to the power of the disease over people's ability to do what's right for the people they love the most. Because in his right mind, that would have never, ever been an option. But in the disease, it changes our value structure so much, which makes sense as to why people end up in the criminal system and um, need help. So it's wonderful what you're doing for your participants in drug court. You know, it's a gift my brother gave me. You know, it gave me perspective. We all know there's a lot of people out there who are just like, stop drinking, stop using. And that's not the way the disease works. And I got to witness that firsthand. It, it is a powerful tool for me. I can't say to a participant, I completely understand where you're coming from as someone who you know, struggles with substance abuse, but I can say I've watched it. Someone I love very much. And I tell them, they all know my brother has no problem with that. Everybody in treatment court knows I have a brother in recovery. My brother's very successful. He's on billboards and they all know that man up there on that billboard. 
that he struggles the same way that I do. Another seed of hope that they can have something different. Absolutely. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. This podcast, Embrace Family Recovery, has been a joy to make. I have been introduced to some of the most interesting people, which I feel have given such a variety of experiences around the disease of addiction. I hope you've enjoyed them too. Please share the podcast with anyone you think it could benefit. Spread the word, tell people about it, post about it, anything you can do to help get more people to hear the hope in the messages of people in recovery as family members. Another thing that would be really helpful is if you could go to Apple Podcast and write a review. The algorithms matter, reviews matter, ratings matter. So if you can go on Apple Podcast and rate and review what you found valuable in the podcast, Embrace Family Recovery, it would help this grow and reach more people. You're listening to the Embrace Family Recovery Podcast. Can you relate to what you're hearing? Never miss a show by hitting the subscribe button. Now back to the show. So I would love to circle back to parents enabling. One of the things I want to say to all parents listening is I understand and appreciate that happens out of a place of love and best intention. It is never malintentioned. However, the disease thrives on it, whereas the person you love is destroyed by it. If you have an ability to share an example of what you've witnessed with the enabling behavior um, in your purview, how have you seen it be a factor that's destructive to the person's recovery? Well, on two different occasions, I can think of specifically, I had parents come into treatment court with their child during their, their plea into the program. That's when they're just coming on board. That's when they have to speak to you for the first time. Okay. Correct. And Typically, I love to see that family support because we all know that the support network is critical. And there was a gentleman and there was a young lady, and it was a dad for the gentleman and a mom for the young woman. With both of them, there was a particular type of treatment that the team had recommended that they go do. And both of their parents were like, no, no, I know my child and they need to do this, this, and this. And with both of them, I have to shut that down really quickly. And I'll tell them right up front. If you want to sit here and undermine this treatment court team at the very first opportunity, you're going to undermine your child's progress. This is a team of people who work with someone in recovery. And although we don't know your child specifically as well, we know how to do our jobs and you have to trust in the system and you have to support us. I know with the one, the one gentleman, he was in the program, it was kind of in and out of treatment. And now he, he ultimately ended up in a long-term treatment. And his dad is, he's doing okay with it. But again, I just see them struggle so much more because they know that, well, if I screw up here, mom and dad are still going to be picking up cases. And um, because of my experience with my parents, who I adore more than anything in the world, and again, enabled my brother with the love of all the world, you know, so I get it. I mean, I understand coming from that perspective um, that, that you think you know better. And that I understand where the parents are coming from, but those are two specific examples. And by undermining the team and saying, you don't know what's best, you are preventing that person from trusting the team and um, submitting to the program, which is critical for the success of a participant. 
And then it's interesting because that's one of the things I see in my work with families. They do know their loved one really well. They don't know the disease really well. They don't know how well it manipulates everyone involved. And so the other thing I, I coach my families on is get out of the fray, allow your adult child to make their own choices so that they can bear responsibility for the victories in them and the struggles in them. Whereas if you stay in the role of being in charge, you can be blamed. You can be the scapegoat. And in your case, I would assume, let us burden that for you. Let us be the heavy. We're not doing it in a punitive way, which is where they'll end up if they don't continue in this journey. But we're doing it in a way that we will assess and meet them where they're at and offer the best resources. So here's a break, mom and dad, you know, take care of you. Yeah. And that's actually a good way to frame it, you know, for me going forward, because I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to encounter it again. I actually had the, the one female I was speaking about. She was in court this week. And um, I asked again, what are you most proud of? And she said, the way my mom looks at me now, you know, and I was like, oh, fighting back tears, you know, and her mom comes to court with her and she hasn't given me any grief since that first time. The first time she and I kind of had some words in court, she told me she was going to sue me. And I said, go ahead. You know, I mean, I get it, but you need to let me do my job. And, um, and she is now and her daughter's doing really well. It's beautiful. You know, what I hear when I hear that is also a very common story. I hear from the many people I've worked with who are working their recovery program from a substance use disorders place. No matter how old we get, we want our parents' approval. And the most well-intentioned parent who is telling their person what to do when they don't have the knowledge to know what's best is also telling their person, I don't believe in you. And they don't see that in the moment. They see it as we're being loving, we're being generous, we're being thoughtful, we're problem-solving, we're doing anything we can to get them back. And it's all, like I say, out of love and the best of intention. The interpretation through the lens of the disease is hard enough, let alone a very vulnerable early recovering person who just wants someone to look at them and to see them as something other than the problem. Well, the most powerful tool that I have in treatment court is my praise. You know, that's been proven evidence-based practices say, well, first of all, treatment courts work best when the participants believe that the judge actually cares about them. So it is important to me that I connect with every single person in my treatment court, however I can. But you would think that, you know, we have lots of incentives. You get a gift card. I give out candy. I'm very food driven. And so I do candy and, you know, lots of different things. We have a wheel that you spin, like, you know, like the wheel of fortune. And there's a bunch of different prizes, you know, you get a credit for your fees or whatever, you know, we have all these different kinds of things that we do that are kind of cheesy and candy, but they're fun. And time and time again, it's shown that when the judge said, I'm proud of you, that was the most powerful incentive. And to think that I can utilize that, it's very powerful to me. And a lot of it goes to what you just said and needing that approval. But also when they say to them, I'm proud of you, but I also say you should be proud of yourself because you're doing this work. And they'll be like, yeah, I am proud of myself. And I'm working on my motivational interviewing skills, but I'm really trying to, um, I try to develop that with them a little bit. You know, why are you proud of yourself? How have things changed for you? What are you doing to make those changes? And I think that really circles beautifully back to the 
parents staying out of the fray because to get to that place of feeling like I'm doing this, they've got to be the one to do it. Absolutely. If a parent is trying to maneuver them into what they think they should do, it's the parent's recovery, not the person's investment in their own recovery. Unabling is a term my friend Sandy Swenson uses. It is unabling our child to grow and develop the skills they need to be a healthy, functioning member of society. In listening to Judge Amber, unabling came to mind. Love and the Best of Intention by people who love someone with the disease of addiction sadly gets twisted and used against their addicted person by this powerful manipulative disease. I'm so grateful that someone like Judge Amber understands this and shares about this in her courtroom. I want to thank my guest for their courage and vulnerability in sharing parts of their story. Please find resources on my website, embracefamilyrecovery.com. This is Margaret Swift Thompson. Until next time, please take care of you.